Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Mike has made his usual. I mean, what is that face? That's just like the beefed up trap gang. Well, it's just this is my face. That's just, know, sir, that's just what I look like. And we are also joined by a true beefed up trap gang overlord. Ian Bell himself. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, y'all. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, feeling good. Just got my second second dose of the Pfizer. So officially Pfizer poppy, all vaccinated up. The man is 5G ready. 5G capable. <laughs> Mike, how, how do you know, Ian? How did you guys originally connect or link up or start talking? So... I know Ian because when I was in PT school <clears throat> in San Antonio, I just happened to live around the corner, basically from this. Uh, I think I think you're repping the shirt right now, hey, Ian. Man. Actually, the uh, the Olympic gym, the original Olympic gym, which uh, Ian can tell you way more about than I can. But I mean, that place was like that place is like an antique. It, it makes me sad that it's like not around anymore because um, it was like you know, a bunch of like strong people a bunch of like legitimate like drifters a bunch of like old school bodybuilders was kind of like the the intersection that was going on there and uh and yeah that was where ian and the rest of the gang kind of trained and so naturally i kind of fell in with with them and was like well obviously ian bell trains here so i'm gonna train here too yeah yeah the rest was kind of history man so i mean that kind of lets the secret out If, if you couldn't tell by the uh the delts right there. Ian has been known to lift some weights and those weights that he hoists against the force of gravity are, are, are quite heavy. So Ian, tell us a little bit about yourself, your history in the sport of powerlifting and maybe a little bit about how you got into lifting in general. Yeah. I mean, I've been lifting, I guess for the past 16 years started when I was like 12. So pretty young. Um, my dad was also a lifter. Um, uh, Gene Bell, you know, old school guy, lots of world records, lots of world championships. Um, in my opinion, one of the best lifters ever. Um, but my dad didn't really like force me into lifting. Like a lot of other people, I started lifting to get ready for football. And I played a lot of different sports growing up, football, basketball, tennis, wrestling, martial arts. I did a lot of different things. Um, but when I started lifting once for football, I noticed like I'm, I'm kind of strong. I was already aware of what lifting was, and I was like, I might as well try it out. And so I took it pretty slow, maybe those first four years. But then when I turned 16, and, you know, in Texas, powerlifting is a pretty big deal. Um, I think THSPA is the second biggest powerlifting organization in the country, only behind USA Powerlifting. Um, so when I turned 16, I was like, you know what? I really want to be competitive in this. I want to win a state title. And that's when I started taking it seriously and just kind of like really went at it um, from 16 on until now. And so still like to this day, my two high school state titles are like my most cherished possessions. Um, but won those and then went to a sub junior worlds, won that, have won, I think three or four junior world titles um set a couple junior world records open world records and currently have the open world record for equipped deadlift in the 93s and yeah so i think we're going to talk about texas a little bit later but just a just a quick aside for you um why do you think it is that in texas that like sports like powerlifting sports like football are so built into the culture there what is it in the water you guys got extra fluoride in your water or something what what, what is it about the state of texas that uh, that lets or that kind of like drives people to gravitate towards those sports you think um i think it's 
Well, like for me, it's just, I don't know. I think it's just part of the culture, right? And so there's just like sports is such an important part, I think, of both Texas culture and Southern culture that it's just kind of like an understanding, like once you get to school, you start playing sports, right? And everybody around you is doing it. So it's also like you want to you have a sense of belonging with your friends and with your community. So you just play sports. I didn't even like football, but I played football because all my friends played football. And I think the other side of that is also there's so much money that goes into sports and into funding athletic departments and staffs and all this thing, all these things that go into creating like a successful sports program. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the two sides of it. Mike, you got something to add there? Yeah, I was just going to say that I think it's so awesome that, you know, with all of like the uh, and you probably hear my cat in the background. I'm sorry. I don't know anything I can do about that. <laughs> but I think it's so awesome with like all of like the titles and stuff that you've won, all that you've accomplished that, you know, you still look back on um, like, you know, like the high school state titles and stuff like that. And I mean, I think it speaks to something pretty pure about it. You know, it's like those high school sports. It's different. It kind of gives me those like Friday night light vibes, which man that's just awesome i love it yeah i mean i check every single year i check to see if there's going to be a kid that breaks my records from from high school and this past year this past year a kid broke my total record which i had to have you know just a day of you know uh morning uh for sure but yeah it's i mean those those state records and and those state championships still super close to my heart how many how many Tanya Harding moments did you have in your mind when you saw that kid coming up towards your record? Did you have like the baseball bat, the steel pipe ready for the kneecaps? I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> I thought it across my mind. Like I might have to, you know, bust minors kneecaps, um, which I'm sure is a felony. But uh, <laughs> no, I was, I was I was I was excited to see somebody break the record. Um, it has stood for. 11 years so it's, it was about that time um and the kid is strong i can't remember his name off the top of my head i think his first name is, is slade slade harris i believe in the 198s and he totaled like 1830 at 198 he's 18 years old which is just insane um so i'm glad to see somebody i'm always glad to see a record break broke because that just means you know people are getting stronger and the sport is advancing in itself um, but when I first saw his name, I was like, you know what? I might have to drive down to Abilene and, you know, make something happen. I think I think broken records as a whole, despite the fact that it's probably a bittersweet moment for you watching your record fall. It's a good thing because it pushes the sport forward. It's always it's a sign that the sport continues to drive forward. You see some of these sports, some of these Olympic sports that haven't had world records broken since like the 60s or the 70s. And it's kind of like a, a stagnant mindset. But on the topic of, you know, breaking records, your last meet, it ended or concluded with an American record deadlift. Um walk us through that last meet how was your training leading up to the meet how was game day um and how hype were you after that last deadlift um so training up to the meet um it went okay i would say um uh, i was listening to y'all's podcast with ashton he was saying uh, like his training felt average like going into the meet and my training felt very average and i know if my training feels good then I'm gonna have a, a shitty meet. Like it's never a good meet. Anytime my training is good, um, but this time I did have some bench PRs throughout training, so my bench felt good. But my deadlift felt terrible throughout the whole training cycle, um, and my squat felt felt okay. But I was having some troubles just like with technique and hidden depth, and just kind of uh, kind of working around my hip issues with my squat. Um, but really, I just kind of hopped into this to this to this meet. Um, I was still kind of like, I didn't really do a lot during the early part of the pandemic and I put on a lot of pandemic weight. And so I was just trying to get down from that, trying to get back in shape, um, really taking things slow. And my dad was like, I remember I was you know, having lunch with my dad and I was like, you know what? You look fat, you need to do a meet. And I was like, first and then second, I was like, you know what? That might be a good idea. Um, so then I just kind of signed up for this meet and I think gave myself eight weeks to get ready for it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the squat 
just kept moving and moving and moving throughout the weeks. And I think I really changed my training this time where I've cut down a lot of volume. Um, I used to, when I was training equipment, you know, I would do, you know, five sets of triples with 85% half suit, which, you know, squatting half suit is, is pretty much akin to squatting raw. Um, it's like raw times one and a half. And so that like that was a lot of volume on my body. And I think when I was 20, 21, 22, like that worked, like I could handle that workload. Um, but now I notice like I can only do doubles and singles straps up and I'm not going to get weaker doing that. I think my whole mindset before was like, I got to do a shit ton of volume all the time in order to be strong, in order to be ready for the meet. But changing that up and changing it more to like how my body is right now, I think helped a lot. But when I got to the meet, I was like, you know what? You're just going to let it ride. Um, and I usually, I'm not really like into calling my own numbers or anything like that. When I get to a meet, I give my people the game plan and just let them carry it out as they see fit. Because I'll always be too conservative in, in calling my own numbers. And my dad is the complete opposite. You know, he'll just let that shit ride. So I wasn't expecting to squat over 840. Um but you know my dad put on 865 for the last attempt and as the, it was the squad that felt the best that day um I, I was pretty sure i was gonna have a good bench day um in training i hit i hit 584 what i hit at the meet um i hit that in training and i was like there's no way i hit that in the in the meet you know after squatting three times you know let's shoot for 573 we just loaded up went 584 the deadlift was what, what I was the most worried about, um, for sure. And I'm always worried when I would go to my first deadlift opener, I'm just like, man, like, what if it feels heavy? Um, you know, what is that going to mean? Blah, blah, blah. But I was able to calm down and, you know, the opener flew, like the opener always flies. And then we jumped to the American record. And I went 120s at this meet because I didn't feel like cutting. I was still just trying to slowly work my way down and it didn't mean anything to cut for this meet. Um, and there was a 120 American record just kind of sitting there that hadn't been touched since 96. Um, I think Anthony Stewart held it, Anthony Bull Stewart. Um, so I was like, you know what, that's, that's there for the taking, might as well. So we chipped that, um, and that felt great. And then we did a big jump to 390, I believe, 390 keys, uh, which I think is around the world record for the 105s. Um, about age 60. Um, so yeah, I, I think my dad just threw it on there just to see like, can we pull it? Like, is it there? How close are we? Um, and so I got that maybe about three quarters of the way and just couldn't lock out my hips on that, on that last one. Um, but all in all, I was pretty, pretty satisfied. It was a good meet. So that's that's awesome. And um, Ryan, if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump ahead because I think this is like kind of a natural segue because, Ian, you mentioned that um, when your training feels good, you have a bad meet. Um, so like what I want to ask about is what kind of goes into your mentality preparing for a meet, so like both in training and in competition, because and I asked this because I remember one time we were preparing for uh, I forget the name, like Iron Wars or something like that in San Antonio. We are both uh, going to compete in that meet. And I remember, like, seeing you in the gym and, like, straight up, you were not having a good prep. Like, you were not <laughs> squatting very much. Uh, I, I don't think I ever saw you bench. I, I, I think I maybe saw you pull a couple of singles, and I was just like, oh, geez. Like, what's, what's happening there? Like, yikes. And, like, this is very cringe to say, but I was like, dude, am I going to, like, beat Ian Bell in this, like, local meet? Like, that'd be kind of cool. Um, fast forward, I did not. I think you like benched like a random like twenty pound PR. Um, you squatted like six something, and this is all raw, of course. And then had like an insane. You pulled conventional like something um, like a hundred pounds more than me or something like that. So it, like no no uh, no like not not bothered by that, but I was just like so amazed. I was like, holy crap, this dude had, from what I could tell at least not very good preparation. Like, I think you're probably dealing with some injuries at the time and stuff too. And then come meet day, it was like, you flipped a switch. You just like turn it on and go for it. Or is that, is that you? Are you just built different or have you kind of like had to, have you had to foster that like over time, had to get better at flipping the switch? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. 
you know, I always, I don't know, I, I compare a lot of things to playing sports, I guess, and like getting ready for meets and, and, uh, and just training in general too. I, every time I'm training, it's a hard training session. I always tell myself, you know what, this is not harder than two a days. Um, this is not harder than waking up at four o'clock in the morning and then playing football for four hours. Or this is not harder than, you know, wearing pads in 103 degree weather. Um, so I think that kind of helps put things in, into perspective. Um, but also, I don't know, I've always just, I'm really good at, I think, at turning on the switch. Um, I've always kind of been like a gamer. I've always been like a meat day lifter. Not very much uh, all the time. Like, I'm going to hit all my PRs in the gym. Uh, I usually don't hit PRs in the gym. And I think that's also a way of how I structure my training. Um, like, and how my dad really structures my, structure my training when I was um, younger is we always want to save it for the platforms. That's where it's going to count. Um, I think there's nothing, not a lot, not a lot more things that are deflating than hitting a PR in the gym and then um, not being able to reproduce that on the platform. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's, it's something that I've worked on, you know, as I've gotten older. I think the the thing that I've really fostered is like how to turn that off when I'm at the meet. Um, you know, because sometimes when I was younger, I get so like hyped up and like so ready that like I would just like run out of steam like after my first deadlift and just be gassed just because like my adrenaline is just like going and going and going um and i think i think it was my dad or somebody told me like you only have so much adrenaline like literally like in your body that you can use throughout the meat so you have to like turn it on and turn it back off so you can save it for you know full meat especially at a local meat that's going to be like five or six hours or something like that um, so I think that's a that's a skill that I've gotten a lot better at as I've been older. I mean, I used to get so geeked up and I pass out and shit. There's, at the Arnold, I passed out twice at the Arnold deadlifting just because like I'm so hype. Um, and I was like, you know what? It's, it's probably not good to be unconscious while holding 800 pounds, um, some would say. Can we hold ASAP Ferg accountable for this? Like for your Absolutely. health? Yeah, okay. Yeah, ASAP Ferg is, is definitely to blame for being unconscious at the Arnold. What's what's the ASAP Ferg song of choice? I mean, are we going are we going new level? Are we going with something new? A little Marilyn Manson? What are we going with here? We're going with work remix. Oof. Oh, that's dangerous. Oh, that's you know, dangerous. I think my my all time favorite it has to be Dump Dump by ASAP Ferg, <laughs> first album, which is I mean that's a pretty that's a hard song. That's not something you want to usually play out in public. Um, but it's good <laughs> in the headphones before, before lifting. Now, something that you said that I want to, I actually want to highlight two things here. I'm going to, I'm going to flip a quick question to Mike Taylor here. He's going to, he better be ready for it. But the first thing that I, that I want to give you props for that you said was when you think about training, because I think that a lot of people, they, take to the social meds and they like to complain about their training and how hard their training is. And what I wanted to kind of applaud you for was your mentality around training. And it's not harder than some other lived experience that you have. Like, cause that really reframes the training session to be like, listen, like I can still go in here and I can give this my best. It's not harder than something that I've made it through before. I think that's 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 super refreshing to hear, and I, I'm I'm glad you said that because I, I think it's a really valuable lesson. The second point, and I want to throw it at Mike, because you said when I have my worst training, I have my best meets, and something I hear Mike and Tom talk about all the time is momentum. So the momentum around training, as in you build momentum into the meet, training gets progressively better, 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 better as you go, and you stack up these victories, and then you perform at your best. From how you've said it, it sounds like taking L's in training, L's in training, just here, sir, hold this L, and then all of a sudden on meet day, you had this phenomenal performance. So, Mike, I, I want to hear kind of how you interpret this and how this lines up with your mentality about, like, training momentum. Well, so, as as you did here, he didn't deny um, being, like, built different. So, that probably has something <laughs> to do with it. But, no, for real, though, I think part of it has to do with reframing it. I think that, um, you know, like he says, maybe things not feeling the best but like not letting that spiral out of control. So like, you know, even though training has been like not good, you haven't let it become like 
negative momentum either where you're just like you know oh crap man am i gonna am i gonna bomb at this freaking meat man oh god and uh you know you kind of like stay with it and you kind of remember like okay yeah because you, you played high school football in texas which is, is like a, a rite of passage basically and you know you just understand that like yeah they're like harder things and you know okay this isn't uh this isn't the best, but you know, one thing also that I can speak to because uh, Ian's dad, Gene tried to tell me this, I was still not really ready to listen um, at the time, but I remember I was like hitting like RPE tens, like two weeks out from this meet. Like I, I maxed my squat, I squat like 585. I was like, for sure, 600 on meet day. It's going to be there. Absolutely. And he was like, you really should probably try to leave some. And I was like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know, sir. But like, I got, I got this program, like I'm good. And then like, I, I didn't squat 600 at the meet. Right. So I was like, huh, you know, maybe there's something to that. So I think, you know, Ian probably also has kind of learned to really trust his training, even when it's not on fire, he knows that, you know, the strength will be there on game day when it counts. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I'd also probably like to ask Ian, like, I mean, you've, you've competed in a lot of powerlifting meets, probably like nine or 10 times more than I have. I mean, have you ever had like a bad one? I would assume the answer is yes. So like, it doesn't always go in your favor. But, you know, you still get back up and compete again, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think to get back um, to, like, the earlier questions, I I think the whole – all the training, I think, is about mindset. And I think it has it has to be about that. And because you can always find something that isn't going well. And if you want to hyper-focus on that or if you want to let that paint the picture of what your training cycle has been – then it's gonna, it's not gonna be good, right? And you're gonna go into the meet with a negative mindset, not believing in yourself and believing what you're capable of. Um, when I say my training hasn't been good, I think it's also me not trying to set too high of expectations. So I think I've done that before, where I've like set the bar way, way, way too high, and then if it does, if the meet doesn't go perfect, I'm deflated after that. So I think I try to find like a middle ground of like, you know what, things are feeling okay. And Mike, what you were saying about trusting your training, I, I wholeheartedly believe in that, that even if things are going exactly right or you have to change some things throughout the training day or throughout the cycle, trusting in that training and knowing that whatever you did before is going to produce the results that you want on meet day, but you, you have to trust in it um, and not freak out when some when one little thing goes wrong or a couple things go wrong, but just to trust in it and, and be patient. Um, but yeah, I've I've had bad meets. I've I've had bad meets. Um, there was a, a couple years where I was having trouble getting two benches in a meet, um, just having a hard time touching or, or just wasn't strong enough to press out a bench. Um, my best training cycle leading up to a meet, um, that meet is the only meet that I bombed out in. Um, so which is I don't know maybe it's just kind of like a personal thing. Like if I have, if my training is too good. It's, the meat's not going to be good. Um, I don't have a lot of data for that, but that my last sub, my last junior worlds, um, I went into the training. I had like all these goals. I was like, I was, I'm going to break the squat record. I'm going to break the deadlift record. I'm going to break the total record. Like it's all there. It's my last one. I'm going to put these records out of reach, blah, 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 blah. Training was going great. Um, got to the meet and then, Things just didn't go my way. Refereeing didn't go my way, and I'm down the squat. Um, so that's I think that's probably like that was like a big turning point for me and how I approach training, um, and how I try to keep myself just kind of in the middle, um, you know, not to the point where like I'm not believing in my own strength, but also not to the point where I'm just like, you know, cocky going into a meet where I can't keep myself humble. Um, so yeah, and I feel like that's that's where I'm at now. Like I, I keep, I have like this range of like what I can hit going into a meet, um, but even knowing that sometimes I can go above that range, um, and I'm capable of doing that. To get back to like a Texas high school football um, analogy, what that kind of sounds like to me is, you know, you pick up a first down or hit like a big explosive play, great. Uh, next play, if you uh, you know you fumble the ball, like okay. That sucks, but defense, next play. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's definitely having a having a short memory, for sure. And even, you know, I think that's important throughout a training cycle. Um, 
when I was younger, I used to get really down on myself if I had a bad day. Like, it would take me, like, two days to, like, get over that and then be able to come into the gym with a fresh perspective. Um, but, and, you know, I think as I've gotten older, like, I've, I've reduced that time as much as I can. Um, and I think I do a lot of things mentally to, like, to be able to do that. Um, just through, like, you know, listening to different things or, or meditating or, or journaling or doing a lot of other things just to kind of like process and then, you know, shift my perspective and, and reset myself going into the next day. But especially on meet day, I mean, if you go one for three for squats, you can't carry that into bench because if you do, you're going to bomb out. You're going to go one for three for bench. Um, there's always time and opportunity to make it back up or at least to start fresh or to end on a good note or whatever, you know, euphemism you want to use. Uh, I don't like to waste those opportunities. Earlier on in the in our recording here in our in our pod, you mentioned some stuff about your training leading into the last meet. I believe you said um, half suit, straps up. I think you even mentioned a bench shirt. And I didn't want to alarm anyone at the time, but all the crosses that are hanging in my house turned upside down, and black cats started yowling. Because what you had done is you had just mentioned Satan's barbell sport, which was equipped powerlifting, right? Am I am I characterizing that correctly? Yes, the, the devil's lifter. Yeah. So our, our our viewers and our listeners right now, put put your flame beanies on, crank the Metallica to eleven, because we're having a conversation about equipped powerlifting. So Ian, I'm a five year old. Explain to me what equipped powerlifting is, the divisions, the equipment, all of that. Yeah, so equipped powerlifting, at least the division that I compete in, is single ply, single ply lifting, so just one ply of material. Um, this is, You have squat suits, right, that are made um, out of like a, a polyester type material, bench shirts made out of the same thing, and deadlift suits that are made out of the, the same type of material. Um, the way that it works, basically, the, the analogy I always use in talking to, to new lifters or, or younger lifters is it kind of works like a rubber band. So as you kind of pull that rubber band back, right, you're kind of storing up this energy. And then when you let it go, you know, it just kind of converts to the kinetic energy, just kind of flies. So as you're squatting in the hole on your descent, you're kind of storing up that energy in the suit. And then you hit the hole and you're getting that rebound from the suit. And so the suits work basically the, the same way for each of the lifts is giving you support and assistance out of the hole for each lift. So on the bench, you know, off your chest, um, out the hole in the squat and at the bottom of the deadlift. So I just like put this on and squat like 200 more pounds than I normally do. Right. Like just, just, just straight away. Play. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, no, um, so there's a little bit of adjustment to, to using the suit. Uh, I think the big thing that people run into when they're using equipment is the equipment wants to collapse you in at, at all times. So it wants to collapse your knees, it wants to collapse your hips. When you're benching, it wants to, it wants to just kind of fold you down and, and kind of collapse your arch. Um, when you're deadlifting, it wants you to lift, you know, hunched over. So you're having to fight against the equipment to, to get to your regular technique to be able to get the most efficient use out of the gear. Um, there's also the, the, you know, the point of kind of hitting the competition standards of, you know, touching your chest when you're wearing a bench shirt and hitting death when you're wearing a squat suit and locking all the way out when you're wearing a deadlift suit. Um, and then it's also kind of figuring out like what's, what's the right weight for you, you know, and, and what, what it's gonna take and what you can handle in wearing the suit, um, what different fit kind of fits you best. Um, if you need tighter legs, if you need tighter hips, or if you need tighter straps. Um, but it takes it takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, and you, you gotta be a, a special type of crazy, I would say. Um, a special type of, you know, red flame beanie crazy. Uh, <laughs> wear some of these, because the pressure is, the pressure I think is the most a common thing I hear people complain about, like that pressure when you have a suit on, you have knee wraps on, you have a belt on. Um, you know, people pop blood vessels in their eye all the time, you know, wearing equipment. It happens in raw too, but I've seen it more happen, uh, more frequently wearing gear. Like that's a lot of pressure in the hole. It's, it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good. 
Um, but it's, I think it takes a lot more skill to be able to finesse that gear in a way that's gonna help you. Cause I know a lot of people put on gear and they just can't lift in it because they can't make it work for them. They can't, can't fight the pressure, can't fight the pain, um, can't get their technique right and fight against the suit to be able to lift how they normally lift. Um, and they kind of give up on it. But it, um, I think if anybody's a powerlifter, they got to try a quick lift in. Cause like that's, that's the, in my opinion, that's the true essence of, of what powerlifting is. And Mike, started. Mike, put the suit on. Do it. I know I got I feel like I really missed a, a big opportunity to do it. Cause one thing I'd be interested to hear Ian's take on this was that like when I, when I lifted out in Texas, at, you know, Olympic gym and Texas strength systems. And there's like a lot of people compete like lifting equipped out there still. Okay. Don't see anything like that in, uh, in Florida or really anywhere else that I've been, honestly. Um, so it seems to me like, you know, obviously we all heard about, you know, Mike, Mike to would like do it himself, like just hanging by like a barbell in his garage, like get in the suit and stuff. But, I mean, it kind of seems like it does take like a team effort to really properly train in equipment. Would you say that's correct, Ian? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're just starting out, if you never used gear before, like you got to find a crew of people who know what they're doing, um, which very much like when I first started out lifting, you know, like I guess like the mid 2000s, early 2000s, like that's how you got into powerlifting. Like you walked into a gym, you saw who the powerlifters were and you asked very nicely if you could join them and learn from them. Um, and then eventually after a couple of weeks, after you proved yourself, they throw you into gear and start teaching you how to use that. Um, but it's always been like a big kind of community thing. Like I got to be around four or five men and women who know what they're doing to help me help wrap my knees, help put my straps on, help spot and load and all these things um, really to keep you safe so you don't <laughs> fold like a like a lawn chair. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's it's important to have at least two people who know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I remember even, um, <clears throat> I can't think of like specific names, but I remember I would like come into the gym some days and I'd see, um, someone there and be like, Oh, Hey man, what, what, what are you training today? And he'd be like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not training. I'm, I'm just here to like load or like wrap knees. And just be like, huh? Like it, it's, it's like, it's like that, you know, you're, you're there for your, uh, for your crew, which, which I think was really cool. Different, different type of vibe for sure. I'm yeah. interested to hear, um, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I've, you know, I'm in the gym seven days a week, um, but I'm only training four days a week. Sometimes I just come to the gym to wrap knees or to spot and load or to just slap somebody on their traps. You know, um, yeah, I think that's that's the I think the fun part about equip lifting. It's very much you're all in it together. You know, whether you're training or you're not training, you're still all you're kind of doing the same meet. Handshake emoji for sure. Big handshake emoji. Uh, so I'm actually interested to hear kind of the implementation of equipment in training. When, when in terms of proximity to a meet, you bring in equipment, how frequently you're training in it, how frequently you're training without it, what does that look like? So I'm usually in gear for anywhere between six to eight weeks. Um, and so... You know, I kind of give myself like an acclimation period to the gear because when I'm not training for an equipped meet, like I'm training raw. Um, so most of the year I'm just training raw. Um, but, you, you know, there's kind of an acclimation period where I'm slowly kind of getting back used to using gear again. So for with the squat suit, that means, you know, going straps down, um, going half suit, um, or sometimes it even means going half suit without wraps or just using knee wraps only. Um, but like slowly working my way up, you know, to maybe where I'm four weeks out and I'm back in, you know, straps up, full gear, belt, knee wraps. Um, and my body is ready for that. Like my CNS is ready for that after kind of acclimating over a little bit of time uh, of the overload weight and just getting used to like wearing all the weird stuff again. Um, with bench, that means just kind of working down to my chest with different levels of boards um, over like an eight week period. Um, I like to touch from four weeks out all the way up until the meet. Um, and then with deadlift, I do that a little bit differently recently where, because you don't really get a lot. Well, I should say most people don't get a lot of the deadlifts who, like in general, 
Um, I know people who just don't wear deadlift suits because they look more raw. It just doesn't work for them. Um, or they get like 10, 10 pounds out of it and like, you know what, it's not worth it because um, it's too painful. Um, and also like when you're training in a deadlift suit, you don't get a lot of it out of it half suit. Um, so with that one, I'm starting out straps up pretty early, maybe like six weeks out um, and doing a bunch of singles and doubles um, with that, just kind of slowly kind of increasing the weight uh, throughout the eight week cycle. Um, but yeah, I think the whole thing with equips training is, I think it's different than raw uh, training and programming. Uh, I feel like it's hard to kind of do auto regulation with equip training because like you kind of have to hit like specific numbers at specific times throughout the training cycle in order to be ready for what you want to hit on meet day. Um, and you can't really, you can't really miss that. Um, like if you're supposed to hit straps up at 90% one week and you don't hit it or it's not there. There's not really an opportunity to make that up later on in the cycle or kind of switch things around. Um, like you have to be on that day. If it's not there, it's not there. You got to move on to the next week. Um, so I think in that kind of sense, like I'm a little bit more structured with my equip training and like I'll plan it out eight weeks out. Um, it's a lot more kind of just like linear progression based, pretty simple um, with a little bit of auto regulation. If I want to hit a top set, throughout the training cycle, kind of week by week. Um, but raw training, you know, I just kind of walk in the gym. I have like a loose structure in my head. and just like, how do I feel today? And just kind of hit what I want to hit uh, based on that loose structure. And, and do you feel that the equipped lifting makes you a better raw lifter? The raw lifting makes you a better equipped lifter or it goes both ways? Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I definitely think it goes both ways. Um, I think raw lifting, you know, makes you stronger, like from a base level and a foundational level, which you need as an equipped lifter. Because if you're stronger at your base and foundational level, that means you can just overload that much more when you put on the gear. Um, and I think with equipped lifting, you get used to handling overload weights. Um, so maybe your walkouts might feel a little bit easier. Maybe unracking a bench might feel a little bit easier. Maybe you can hold on to more weight. Um, because you train that over an eight-week cycle. Um, but I will say, after doing a bunch of equipped meets, um, like doing a raw meet, it, it feels pretty easy. Like it's a lot less stressful. Um, there's just there's just like not as much going on, I think, when you're lifting raw uh, compared to equipped. So I think from that sense, um, it's also like a, like a big difference. And like lifting in so many equipped meets, you know, I've heard this from a lot of my friends who love to quit. Like, they do raw music. You're like, yeah, this is, it just feels real chill, um, which I think is also kind of, it kind of adds to a perspective of competing. Where do you think the biggest skill component actually is on the equipped lifts? Do you think, which lift do you think has the biggest, if you know how to use your equipment, you'll get the absolute most out of it? Um... I think that answer would change depending on who you asked. I think somebody with a big ass squat would say squat and somebody with a big ass bench would say bench. Um, if I try to be as objective as possible, I would say bench, even though I hate it so much. Um, <laughs> I would definitely say bench because I know guys who can raw bench 385 and then they can work a bench shirt and bench, you know, 700 pounds. It's because like they just know how to set the shirt. They can squeeze into a tiny ass shirt. They can control that weight all the way to their chest. They know exactly where they hit it. They can hit it in the same spot every single time. And I think like that's the skill part. Like you can hit that bench in the same spot every single time. You can control that shirt where it doesn't collapse you. Um, like all these little tiny variables, you can control that throughout the lift or it doesn't mess you up and you can if you can do that you can just overload to the moon um and bench whatever you want to bench and i think that's where i've seen the biggest kind of difference between somebody's like raw lift and their equip lift is definitely bench ian bell's final meet his swan song it will be equipped or raw oh equipped <laughs> absolutely equipped <laughs> Us, us, right. 
Web world, we don't really we don't uh, count raw as, as uh, lifting. Sometimes I don't want to anger the raw people, but we have. Uh, it's okay. They're already mad. Can... They're, they're already angry. <laughs> they stay <Too> mad. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, before I ask Ian about Texas, and we possibly talk a little bit about some college football as well, do you have anything yeah. that you wanted to add? Circle back to anything like that? Yeah, actually, I do. So, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, basically had the su- the support, like the very, very aggressive support, if you will, that the equipment provides. And, you know, obviously being a power lifter, I know that you've had injuries, bumps and bruises along the way. I've heard people say before that they actually like, despite the fact that it's really uncomfortable, that they can actually train through some things like like hip pain. Like I know like Blaine Sumner, like says he basically can't squat raw, but like equipped, he can squat like, you know, 800 plus pounds without a problem. Do you feel like it provides, um, pretty good support? Like in some instances, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I can't squat raw either. Both of my hip labrums are torn and I haven't been able to squat raw since like 2017, um, without pain. Um, so equipped lifting is really like my only chance to be competitive at a national international level. And it also helps with like the management of my hip. Um, There was a point where like I was training raw, you know, going to the worlds and and doing all this stuff and trying to get into that. And, you know, it got to the point where like I couldn't sit down in a chair, I couldn't walk. It would hurt, my hip would hurt when I slept and all this stuff. So really backing off on my raw training and really focusing on the gear. And then that allowed me to just focus like on my hip rehab and stuff. And getting that back to a level where I could like live um, without pain and being in constant pain. Um, so yeah, I think that's made a big difference in my life. And you, I think it definitely helps to be able to train through some injuries and still be able to compete. Awesome. That's that's really cool. That's definitely something I'll keep in mind. You know, obviously it's like a very uh, like a very technical thing. But sometimes, and you know, I'm sure you've dealt with it before. But if you're a powerlifter and you're hurt and you're trying to like jam a square peg into a round hole like by squatting and it's like oh it still hurts it still hurts it still hurts it can be kind of refreshing to like do something different basically um that doesn't feel quite so terrible so you know maybe for for some of you out there who are are dealing with that maybe get a uh you know a loose pair like used used briefs like you know supportive ones and uh like go half suit or something like that and, and see if it kind of just lets you just lets you train normally for a little bit and kind of lets the hip chill out for a little while, you know? So that's, that's a good thought. I really like that. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge fan of briefs. Um, anybody that has any type of hip pain or is taking a break from the regular training. Like I, I try to throw briefs at them, just like use this for six weeks. Um, um, I think it helps a lot. It's helped me a lot. It's helped a couple lifters. I know a lot. Um, and I think it's, even if you're, if you mainly compete raw, I think training, I view those then as like training devices, right? They're training instruments like briefs and slingshots and and straps. Like I put all of those in the same category if you're primarily a raw lifter. And I think it's worth using just to kind of change things up or give different, you know, parts of your body a break. Mike, do you think that maybe he should entertain the possibility that pain is in his mind? Oh, well, I mean, for sure. It's all, it's all in his brain. That's all. You're welcome, by the way. Pain is in your brain. Um, I'm helping. Yeah. Well, we'll in, well, uh, I'll get the invoice. I'll get the invoice yeah. sent out before we thank even you. finish recording. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. Let's talk strongest state in the continental 48. You've already made your claim that it's Texas, correct? Absolutely. Now, who who would you put as your as your second place, or who would you put as contenders to the throne? And are they really contenders, or are they pretenders? Mm. You know, you got to throw Wisconsin in there um, with how strong they are at, at their high school lifting. Um, they put out a lot of people who've, who've gone to junior worlds and sub junior worlds, and um, Taylor LaChapelle. I mean, huge fan. Taylor Chappelle, I mean, she is a monster. She's been competing at Worlds since she was 14. Um, open Worlds since she was 14. I mean, she is a monster. Um, she's going to set all all the world records in the in the 57s. Um, 
but there's been so many amazing lifters that come out of Wisconsin. Kimmy Johnson. I mean, there's a lot of them. So I put I put Wisconsin up there. Uh, definitely Louisiana, just like their their story history with collegiate lifting and, and high school lifting as well. Um, a lot of monsters are kind of Louisiana. And I would say those are the two biggest contenders. Um, Mike, Mike, he forgot about us. I know. Why did he leave us off? I think Florida, like a, Florida has like a really like, like old school, like OG history. Like one of my favorite lifters is O.D. Wilson, who's from Florida, um, who I think my dad competed like in a track meet when he was in high school. Um, but I feel like there's been like a lot of like, like 80s and like early 90s lifters that were in Florida who were huge and, and put up. I can't remember the guy. There was a big bencher that came out of Central Florida. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen a lot of people recently coming out of Florida. So that's why I wouldn't put them up there now. Why do you think that is, Mike? If Florida is known for our disregard for our own health. Why can't we dominate a sport like equipped powerlifting? I don't know. I mean, Wisconsin, I would assume it's like a cheese thing, probably. I, I did not expect Wisconsin. I, I was thinking Louisiana in the back of my mind. I was like, I know they've had some some, some people come through there. But yeah, Wisconsin's interesting. I, I had not thought about them. But you're, you are right. They have had a lot of people Like now that I think about it. so let's, let's run the other side of the coin. Who do you think is the weakest state in the Delaware. Continental 48? Delaware or Maine, yeah. Yeah, Delaware, Maine, New Hampshire, I guess. New Hampshire, yeah, Hampshire. Yeah, so if you're watching this podcast and you're from Delaware or New Hampshire, just shut the shit off because we don't want your view at this point. We don't want your comment. If there's any ad revenue that comes for you, we're sending it back and buy yourself a pair of goddamn briefs so you can lift something respectable. God, make us sick. All right. Our next one, we're setting a clock. I'm going to set us at five minutes here. We're going to roast Oklahoma. Five minutes. Five minutes. And, oh, my and, Lord. Okay. Five minutes. And wow. a, I know you got to move quick. <laughs> and A&M. But actually, hold on, Ian, for a second. State your affiliation, please. Uh, I'm a University of Texas Longhorn uh, twice over. Um, definitely proud of that. Um, yeah, through and through. Perfect. Okay, now that cool. he has stated his, his affiliation. Uh, so we're going to roast Oklahoma. We're going to roast A&M a little bit here. Now, I'm going to start. I'm going to give you the uh, – we'll start with OU. Uh, I, and I'm a Southern Cal fan. We make quarterbacks with punchable faces. OU <laughs> somehow takes that over the edge. Like Matt Leinart, Barkley, Darnold, those are guys that you just like – Oh, you see them in a bar and you just, yeah, you just want to smash a beer bottle over their head. But Oklahoma, we got a fuck, Mary kill for you. It's Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Spencer Rattler. The kill, I believe, is obvious. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, you got to kill Spencer Rattler. Um, got it. I mean, um, a lot of nicknames um, from UT fans out there for him. Um but yeah, I mean, he just looks scary. So you got to kill him. You don't know. I don't know that face, <laughs> um, the hair, the the earrings, got to kill albino ness. Yeah, 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 it's too much. All right. He was like so really. Kill- he was, he, sorry, he, I was just gonna point. Out, he was really, really like rude to his parents a lot on um, that show too, like the QB one show or whatever. I remember that. Yeah, he was a little brat. So I'm sure he's matured a lot, but still, like, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck him. <laughs> sorry. Got to kill right. him. All right, so we got to marry one, and we got to fuck one. Who are you spending the rest of your life with, Ian? You know, I would, I would marry, uh, I'd marry Baker. Yeah, I, I'd probably yeah. go with you there. I think I'd marry Baker. Um, he, he's the most likable, I think, out of the three, for me. Um. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like an underdog story, which, you know, everybody can get behind that. Um, he's a decent dancer. Everybody everybody can get behind that. Um, yeah, I don't know. He seems the least pretentious, but I don't know. The least pretentious, but also at the same time, the most pretentious. I don't know. Kyler Murray has to walk underdogs all the time. He's like, <laughs> he's an underdog story. Baker Baker seems like the one that he would most easily roll over and call you daddy. Like I think I can see that 
from Baker. I could see that behavior from him a little bit more than Kyler. But like Kyler, I, that's like that's like not a bad bad one night stand right, right there, right? Like that's a good that's a good fuck. Yeah, you can't be mad at that. Um, I think you know why I wouldn't want to spend the rest of my life with Kyler just because of him snubbing like like our quarterback Ellinger after after the OU game after getting beat. Like poor sportsmanship. I can't marry somebody that has poor sportsmanship. Um, you can definitely have a one night stand with that person. Okay, Mike. Mike, you want to make some different? You want to make some adjustments there? Uh, yeah, I think Ian brings up some really compelling points. To be honest, um, some things I had not considered <laughs> initially. I was I was going to say that I thought that uh, that Baker had a, uh, a bit of an attitude problem. It just seems like it'd be like a lot to lot to deal with um, day in and day out. Just seems kind of exhausting. Um, and, and that Kyler is much faster than him. And I was just gonna say, it seems like a good trait to look for in a, uh, a potential suitor. So <laughs> this is yeah. a, this is a direction that you didn't expect, but, but I think that you wanted as a viewer, as a listener, you got this far into the podcast, you earned that last three minutes right there. You, you deserve it. And, and we're happy to provide it for you. Ian, we want to be respectful of your time. We are coming up on that one-hour mark. I wanted to give you a chance to plug any projects you've got going on, let the people know where they can find you. Hit The man's wallet is open. Please deposit some cash inside of it. How can they do that? Um, I don't have too much going on right now. I do have a little clothing company that I run called House of Beef uh, that Mike was generous, uh, generous enough to wear today. Um, so I'm looking to put out some new t-shirts here, uh, pretty soon, the next month or two. So with that, I got an Instagram handle. It's at House of Beef USA. Um, but other than that, you know, you can find my stuff at Ian Deadlifts on Instagram. Um, I also want to shout out my sponsor, uh, Titan Support Systems. Um, always helping me out, giving me the best gear on the planet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I got going on. If you want the gear... You want the apparel, you want to rock the house of beef, look below. You'll have you'll find those links right in the description of the video. Mike, anything you want to say? Anything you want to wrap up with? I just wanted to say that Texas A&M is also weird. Yeah. That's all I have. We, we don't have to. I, I still don't. I, I did a little Google and I couldn't find enough supporting that. I, I feel comfortable going on the record with that. So. Perfect. Yeah, that's with the, before the yeah before the recording started. We discuss, we discussed some things that we will for legal uh, take reasons. Our, this is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Take to our <laughs> graves with us, right, gentlemen? That blood pact, it's real. Yeah. It Please real. don't say anything. My mom <laughs> listens to these. All right, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff that you do over here on the YouTube's. We will catch you on the next one. And as always, stay gifted and. We love you. See ya. That's the part where flex. Oh, that was like hemorrhoid <laughs> face. <laughs>